Welcome to the North Brevard Church of Christ podcast. I'm Doug Hunter, one of the elders. We hope that this podcast makes our sermons and Bible studies more accessible. Oh, good morning, everybody. It's always good to see everybody. Not everybody's got the bright and shiny face, but you'll be awake. (laughs) It just takes some people longer than others. We're going to start a brief series this morning. It's, It's meant just to get you to think. This morning, I want you to think about a song written by Brandon Heath. It's entitled, Give Me Your Eyes So I Can See. He begins by being in an airplane, and then he touches down. I look down from a broken sky, traced out the city of lights. My world from a mile high, best seat in the house tonight, touch down on the coal black top, hold on for the sudden stop, breathe in the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. All those people going somewhere, And I wonder why I never cared. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted. The ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. Step out on the busy street, see a girl and our eyes meet. She does her best to smile at me, to hide what's underneath. There's a man just to her right, black suit, bright red tie, too ashamed to tell his wife that he's lost his job and out of work. He's just buying time. All those people going somewhere. Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see every thing that I keep missing. Give me your love for your humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. I've been there a million times. A couple million lives just passed me by. I swear, I never thought I was wrong. But I want a second glance 
So give me a second chance to see people the way you've seen them all along. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes that I can see everything I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. It's one of those songs when you hear it on the radio, you sing along with it, and, and you don't really get any meaning out of it. But I think God wants us to get meaning out of it. There are two miracles that appear in all four Gospels. One's the obvious, Jesus resurrecting from the dead. That's in every Gospel. The second's where we're going this morning. The feeding of the 5,000. It's in all four Gospels. When I was taking comprehensive Bible, finishing out, I was told if it appears in the Bible once, if it's important, two, it's very important, Three, it means you've got to memorize it. And four, if you don't know it, you don't know your Bible. It's like each writer wanted you to know this is important. It starts off in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus has just heard about the death of John the Baptist. And when he hears it, he wants to withdraw by boat to a solitary place just to get by, just to get the people away for a while and, and let him think about John and all John has done and all John has been. But the crowds follow him on foot. And when Jesus lands, there's a large crowd and Jesus can't help himself. He has compassion on them. And he heals the sick. And as evening approach, his disciples come and said, this is really out in the boonies. That's my translation. Where are we going to get food? Let's send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Mark's just a little different. Again, he's, he's just heard about the things that have happened with John the Baptist. But the people keep coming. And finally, Jesus decides to get away to the place. And this is the difference Mark puts in. They didn't just walk on foot. They ran. They ran so that they would be there when Jesus came ashore. I think he took the boat so that he could get away from them. After all, if they tried to walk on water, they'd probably drown. But when he takes the boat and goes across, there they are. The whole crowd. And Jesus says they're like sheep 
without a pastor or a shepherd. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They don't have the truth about God. So he begins teaching them. It's a lot like Jesus. He just hits shore and right away he's busy helping people. When you get into John's account, it's a little different. He crosses to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And this great crowd followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him. He said to Philip, where shall we go and buy bread for all these people to eat? Now verse 6 I think is, is, he didn't ask Philip to get information. He already knew what he was going to do. But he wants to see how Philip is going to react when he he looks at all those people. And Philip, I think he was just as shocked as this picture tries to display. I think he's looking and saying, man, there are hundreds of people out here. and, And doesn't he realize that we are apostles and we don't make a lot of money? And it's Andrew. who brings a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. And when he brings that, first of all, getting the kids lunch, I think he took a diplomat. This guy had to be a master of negotiation to get lunch. As they start in adolescence, They go into what I call the great shark stage. They just move and eat. That's what he is. And yet Andrew gets his lunch. And Jesus knows what he's going to do. C.T. Studd was a 19th century missionary. And he said something that hit me, so I put it in. Christ doesn't want nibblers of the possible, but grabbers of the impossible. He doesn't want to say, well, I I can do this. Yeah, I've got enough people, or I've got enough money, or I've got enough time, or I've got... He doesn't want people to go with nibbling at the possible. He wants you to trust on him and go for the impossible. In Mark, he has them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties and they take the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread. And after he gave thanks, 
He said to his disciples to collect it. After all had eaten, that's 5,000 men. They didn't count women and children who had to eat, so this could have been a, a really high number. They started out with five loaves and two fish, and they end up with 12 basketfuls. That's grabbing the impossible. There's some things about fish and bread that it's not common knowledge among our culture. If you would go down when the fishermen would come down and the fish were small, they would give them to the poor. The logic was you're not going to sell them anyway. You might as well give them to the poor and give them something to eat. So that was a common thing to do. But if you follow the lives of the twelve, you know there were days they set out and they came back and they says, what have you caught? And they said, we haven't caught a thing all night. So what do you do when there's, there's no fish that are free and you are poor and hungry? You eat bread. Bread was the meal for a lot of families. It's the only thing they ate. So it took on a significance that if you don't really sit back and look at it, you can miss. In Exodus 24, I think it's 9 and 10, the Israelites have just received the law. They've blown it. They're getting ready to, to get it a second time. And God says, I want you to do this, Moses. I want you to, to set apart Aaron and you and Nadab and Abihu, not the one from Daniel, but the ones from Exodus. And I want you to take the 70 leaders that have been handed out and I want you to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices on them and then I want you to come up. And when they get up, they go on top and there's a lapisly coolis, coolis. I worked on that. It's tough. I'm not sure I got it correct. God's feet were showing on a bright blue stone. And they sat down and they ate bread and wine. Now that bread and wine came over to be a, a real big thing. Kevin's my song leader, I'll pick on him. We have a big disagreement. I, I don't know what Kevin and I would disagree about, but we have a big disagreement and we, we go at it for a while and then we work it out. Do you know how we show that we have worked it out? We sit down and eat bread and wine together. That's where breaking the bread came from. It came from now we are together and if we can sit down at the same table and have a meal together, we are once again brothers. When you get into that and you understand it, 
that it wasn't just something that only the poor did, but it was something that every Jewish person knew that's what it took to get back together and united. It, it takes on some meaning. Show me everything I've been missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me the arms for the brokenhearted. I've been there a couple million times. A couple million lives just passed by and I swear, I swear, I, I never thought I was wrong. So give me a second chance. Give me a second chance to see the way you see people all along. You see, God's kind of strong on this. And in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see how strong he really is on this. I just picked two proverbs. The first one is, if you oppress the, sh the, the poor, and you have this attitude towards them. He says, it shows contempt for God who made them. But whoever is kind to the needy, Honors the God that made us all. The, the second one, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, when he cries out, he will not be answered. This is the guy who's got all these reasons you don't help the poor. You know, he just lines them up and he's always... Got... God cares about the poor. It's not one of those subjects that you can just play with and it's something he wants you to take seriously. I wonder how many of us had that chance that William III was talking about. Just to be around the poor, they are fascinating people. When I was working there, William II <coughs> announced I was the minister. And everybody who wanted prayers wanted straight for me. I had a line. And I thought, what could they want me to pray about? There was a 12-year-old boy who had a brain tumor. And nobody knew. The night before, a husband and wife, the, the husband said he was going to the store and he never came back. I hadn't seen that. I just saw people who needed food, but these are people who, for a hundred reasons, were there hurting. In John 6, it does something that none of the others do. It gives the meaning of bread that Jesus was trying to get across. He finds them on the other side of the lake, and they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he says, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Verse 
Now the picture that the commentator gave kind of nice. He says it's like Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner where guys have to loosen their belt to notches because it's so full and it's so out there and they didn't stop eating until it was all gone. They came for that. But do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life. For the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. And on him the God, the Father, has placed his seal of approval. Now, there are two meals. One, he goes back and he grabs something from their past as they are leaving Egypt. They cried out for food and God sends them a brand, a, a, a brand of bread that was flaky. And if you put it together in a pile, it was kind of sweet. It was called manna. But one of the things you had with manna is you had to go out in the morning every day. If you tried to, to stack up a supply of manna, it got wormy and spoiled overnight. This is the guy who just exists. He's got a life, but he's just existing. And Jesus says, the bread that I give you, I give you, will lead to eternal life. Now, I got this hint from Bertha. She said, would you, would you kind of get at that breaking down? And I said, okay. So if this is Greek to you, then this is probably a review. But if you don't know Greek, I'm going to have to translate it for you. The first one is, there's a bread when you eat it, it's just existing. You collect it every day and you can't starve it up. That's the first bread. But there's a bread that when you eat it, you'll find a life most people just dream about. Now, here's the part Bertha wants. The two smartest, best-looking, most, most gracious grandsons. <laughs> the one in the blue is Alex. Now, Alex is, is the strong-willed of the two. No, Oliver's a strong-willed of the two. I got to messed up. I got to go see them. Oliver doesn't want to go when everybody else wants to go. Oliver doesn't want to do what everybody else wants to do. Uh, Oliver's just that way. So on one trip, they all wanted to go somewhere, and, and Oliver says, I'm not going. And I said, you all go, I'll stay with him. So I'm there, and Oliver climbs up and gets cookies. A stack of cookies. Then he goes to the refrigerator and he hits sacred ground, his father's sparkling water. That is dad's. You don't touch it. Oliver did. So he comes in, he turns on the TV, which he's not supposed to be watching. He starts watching it. He sits down, he pops the top of the sparkling water as he gets the cookie out and he says, ah, oh, this is the life. When you have the bread 
that God gives you, you're not just existing. You have that kind of life. It starts here. And it continues on forever. That God's people who have been given that bread of life have eternal life. This, this quote is just good. It's, it's a C.S. Lewis quote, so it's just good. Most people, if they really learn to look into their own hearts, would know that what they do want and want acutely is something that can't be had in this world. In other words, you can listen to society and you are overjoyed if... Boy, does that wear off fast. The world convinces you, this will be me. And it's not. And that's why we have Jesus. He is that bread of life. He was there so we would never be hungry again for a, a life that had meaning. His death on the cross gives us a guarantee of forgiveness that if we repent, which is a way to say stop listening to the world and stop trying to live for yourself and live for God and, and then you are immersed in water, which is baptism, he will give you that bread that lasts forever. It'll change your life. This morning, if you haven't had that bread that changes your life forever, won't you come? Why together we stand and why we sing.